When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right. Welcome to another episode of Talking Ball Live with Pat Leonard. We are here between the Super Bowl and the NFL Combine in an interesting window where teams like the Giants across the NFL are starting to turn the wheels of taking their offseason plans and making them their offseason actions. It culminates in the NFL Combine continuing and strengthening conversations that teams like the Giants have with pending free agents, their representatives, to set a course for what the near future is going to hold with how they're going to handle that legal tampering window and whether they're going to let players walk or resign them and send indicators to these players and the people around them about what direction the team wants to go and where they fit into that puzzle. Obviously a lot of variables that go into it, but Saquon Barkley is at the front of my mind right now. We are on the verge of the franchise tag window opening. So teams between Tuesday and March 5th at 4 p.m. can franchise tag a player on their roster. Now, if the Giants were to do that for Saquon Barkley, that would tab him with a $12.1 million cap hit for the 2024 season. Now, you can franchise tag a player as a placeholder and then eventually either have the player sign it or negotiate a long-term deal while the tag is on that player. But when you put the franchise tag on a player on your roster, it removes that money from your spending power in free agency. So at the moment, the Giants have around 19 million to play with. They'll be able to free some more. But say they had that 19 million, if they were to place the franchise tag on Saquon Barkley coming up on Tuesday or Wednesday of this week, that 12 million, even if they were going to negotiate a new contract with Barkley eventually, would be unavailable for the Giants to use approaching free agency as long as they didn't get anything different done. So that would mean only $7 million in cap space plus what Joe Shane clears going into free agency. That's just one element of the conversation we're going to dive into here on the Talking Ball with Pat Leonard live Q&A with you, the Giants fans. Thanks for joining me again, as always. Remember, you can purchase a Super Chat or Super Sticker in the chat. It's a way to elevate your comment to the front, highlight it. I will address it immediately. It jumps to the top of the queue. And it's a good way to support the channel. Remember, if you don't already subscribe to my page here on YouTube at PL on NFL, same handle on TikTok and Instagram on X. I am P Leonard NYDN. You can find me as Pat Leonard on Facebook as well. We are everywhere. The New York Daily News NFL columnist and Giants beat writer here with you and with Believe Network and sponsored by Bet Online. Bet Online continues to be your number one source for all your basketball wagering needs, including pro and college hoops throughout the year. With up-to-the-minute odds, stats, and trends, you can follow your favorite team's path to the playoffs with in-game live betting contests and all the best player props. Experience the world's best wagering platform anytime from your desktop or mobile devices. 
Head to Bet Online today to become part of the team. And remember to use the promo code BELIEVE for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. And where we are starting today is on Saquon Barkley, the face of the Giants franchise still, and uh, the running back, the focal point of what they do when Daniel Jones has the ball under center, whether it's running the ball, whether it's throwing it to their back out of the backfield, something they haven't done enough of, frankly, if you ask me. And my bottom line conclusion, still early in the process, before the Giants even make the franchise tag decision, is this. I think the Giants should let Saquon Barkley go. I think the Giants should give Saquon an opportunity to go somewhere, not just where he's compensated to the level he believes he should be, but also where he has an opportunity to win. He's only got a small taste of winning in New York, a 9-7-1 team. They get into the postseason and they win a road playoff game in Minnesota in the 2022 year. But even after that strong season from Barkley as the catalyst for what they were able to do on offense to just get to the finish line and finally reassert the Giants as a team to be reckoned with in some capacity, he still didn't get a contract. Now, granted, that was due in part to the hardball the Giants played. It was also due to some bad advice he got on his end and to some hard feelings that developed through the course of him not being paid. We heard what Kayvon Thibodeau said about how he and some of the locker room felt about Daniel Jones getting paid first, which don't discount that as an element of this, the perception, the optics. We talk about that all the time here on the Talking Ball live chats about not just the Giants, but NFL teams in general. Yes, they're trying to do what's best for the team, but they're also managing the optics. And right now, Joe Shane and the Giants are up against the wall in the sense that the perception is they didn't handle Saquon's situation last year in a way that uh, adequately respected and validated Barkley. And players saw that, people saw that. So now where we sit is a year later, the Giants have vocalized that they value Saquon as a player and as a person, but it's also clear they will only go to a certain length to pay him. And really, to me, I see Saquon in a position where, sure, the money's important in what it sends as far as a message about what kind of player he is and his value. And certainly he would like the the words to be backed by actions and dollars in New York, and he would love to be a giant and win a giant. But to me, I think Joe Shane and the Giants showed they have a limit last season. I think Saquon Barkley and the Giants both wouldn't mind, frankly, if it ended up with Saquon playing somewhere else and the Giants having resources to allocate to different positions on a team that really is going to struggle to stay competitive or to be competitive, I should say, from offensive line to pass rush to secondary to maybe even drafting a quarterback. There's a lot of things that Joe Shane has to address, and I think he's already demonstrated that running back is not a priority for him. I think ideally his coaching staff and his program and his roster would be able to be complemented by a talented back but would not invest its primary resources in that back. And now we have Joel Lopez checking in with a super chat and super sticker, and we will jump right to Joel to start our Q&A portion. Guys, thanks so much for being here. As always, love the interactions and the dialogue we have. You guys make me think, I think, as much as I deliver news to you. So Joel says, what's up, Pat? If we don't sign Barkley, what are your overall thoughts on Eric Gray? Small sample size his rookie year. Can we trust him? I don't think Eric Gray would be the, the sure answer if the Giants part ways with Barkley, I think they would end up drafting 
a running back if Barkley ends up playing elsewhere. Uh, this is a good class for running backs, some dual threat running backs. And also, I think from a from a value input perspective, I think Joe Shane has indicated, even from the Eric Gray selection, for example, that they view a running back position as something like we can get a good enough player investing a minimal amount of resources. So I think a mid to late running back pick, you know, say a third rounder or a fourth rounder in this draft would be the most likely route. Now, Gray, what I think of Gray, I think I would like to still see him more as just a running back. Like clearly that draft pick was about trying to address their return game as well. And that was a swing and a miss from Joe Shane and the personnel department and wasn't hard to see right off the bat in training camp was a very poor valuation there. As a runner out of the backfield, I think Eric Gray is a one cut and go guy. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I think his his plant his foot in the ground and change direction once he bursts through the hole, I think is a really effective uh, move that he put on a lot of guys in training camp. It didn't translate as much in the season. He also didn't get a ton of reps at running back. But to me, you know, um, an undersized guy, a guy who I think his confidence certainly and clearly waned and deservedly so based on uh, the position he was put in at returner and the fact that Barkley carried so much of the workload. We just never really saw too many compliments, not, not nearly as many as we thought we were going to prior to the year, um, you know, to kind of reduce Barkley's usage and keep him fresh. So there was third down opportunities taking Barkley off often on those, but a lot of times they were handled by Matt Breda. Frankly, Gray did not earn uh, an amount of trust that he needed to as a rookie to get those opportunities over a guy like Breda. And so I, I just don't think without Barkley, you can just hand it off to Eric Gray. And Joel, thank you so much for that question and that comment. And we are off and rolling here on the Talking Ball live Q&A podcast here with the Believe Network. Pat Leonard, and, um, you know, bring your questions. But today, our the central focus of what we're talking about here is my opinion that Saquon Barkley deserves to play elsewhere, that he deserves a chance to win, that he deserves a chance to uh, build the legacy on the field that he wants to build before he continues to build his career and legacy off the field. I do think as much as the Giants, John Mara and Saquon Barkley consistently talk about guys like Michael Strahan and Eli Manning as the paradigms that the Giants and Barkley would love to see him follow suit in that mold of a media star after he stars on the field for the Giants and, you know, like Eli and be that career giant. And we all know that being a giant is a huge part of Saquon's brand. But the fact of the matter is Eli Manning and Michael Strahan wants championships. They want Super Bowls. They have rings. They went down the Canyon of Heroes and that's a huge part of the legacy that they have transformed into this stardom post-career. And now Saquon definitely has a bright future in the media or wherever he chooses to go in when his career is over, regardless of whether he wins or not. But as far as building the kind of legacy that he believes he is worthy of and wants to carry with him the rest of the way, it is hard to look at the Giants as they're presently comprised and believe that Saquon can do that here on the field. And I know it feels difficult and I'm sure to Saquon, it would feel difficult and still even the thought of it does. And for the giants too, giants fans, giants ownership from a brand building perspective to an on field. Well, this guy carries most of the load for our offense. What would we do if he wasn't here perspective? I think a fresh start and a clean slate and ripping off the bandaid though 
would certainly be the best thing for Saquon and I think would give the Giants at least a chance to clear the deck and look at their offense in a different way in a pivotal year for the coach, possibly the GM too. No Mets, no Nets, no Jets says, Pat, did you find it weird or interesting that Barkley was wearing a Giants jersey at the Rangers Islanders game yesterday at MetLife Stadium? You know, I did notice that. That was something I was talking uh, to some people I was watching the game with. You know, we were talking about it. Seeing Saquon there in that Giants jersey was interesting. Um, I do think there's a possibility it meant something. I think more than likely, though, this is such an official level partnership with the NHL playing at the home of the Giants and Jets. And this would have been a commitment that Saquon and Sterling Shepard and Tommy DeVito would have had to make um, ahead of time and would not have come as, as a surprise. And certainly in the interest of the Giants PR wise, looking like they're embracing the NFL or NHL and hockey looking like they're embracing the Giants and uh, the Jets and the football teams, allowing them to be in their stadium, so to speak. I think that was just a, a something that was required of Saquon because technically, listen, he is still a giant. Uh, the, late, the, the new league year hasn't started yet. Once the new league year starts, he will no longer, longer officially be a giant without a new contract and a new deal or a franchise tag on him. But no, Mets, I think my bottom line takeaway from that was while it did cause me to raise my eyebrow, I think in the long run, Saquon, he, listen, the message that Saquon wants to send to Giants fans throughout this whole process is one that he wants to be a giant, even if he ends up on another team. Neither person in this situation wants to be the bad guy. Saquon doesn't want to look like the bad guy that's saying, I want out of New York, because ultimately this is home for him. And it does mean a lot to him that he's a giant. And it is a huge part of how people view him. And Joe Shane and the Giants don't want to look like the bad guys. They already do in some sense in, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau's comments about player opinion of Saquon not getting rewarded while Daniel Jones does, even if that doesn't fully describe what happened in that situation, it's still a perception and a feeling that does and a sentiment that does exist in different places around the Giants, including in their own locker room. But frankly, I think Saquon wearing the Giants jersey, first of all, more than anything, it's probably just part of an official partnership that the Giants and the NHL and the Rangers and the Islanders all agreed to and was a part of the appearance. Because certainly he, Shepard, and DeVito all had their jerseys on representing the team and the NFL while showing um, good faith to the NHL and to a great hockey game, by the way. There's nothing like live hockey, right? But also, no Mets, I think the undercurrent of that is Saquon, unless and until he signs the dotted line with another team, he wants everybody to think of him as somebody who is loyal to the end and not disloyal to the Giants. Of course, I would argue he doesn't have to convince anybody of that because just like the Giants showed it's a business last year, I think it's Barkley's time to do that now. No Mets, great kicking us off with that question as well as Joel's. And Joel, thank you so much for the super chat. Um, and remember, as we talk, as we do these chats, please hit the thumbs up and those like buttons because the live engagement and support does wonders for spreading the word about what we do here, talking the NFL, talking the Giants and answering your questions directly and delivering news when we have it as well. G-Men says, what's going on, Pat? I don't know if you spoke to any sources, but what is your expectation for the Giants and free agency? Will they spend big at one position? I can see them making a play for Robert Hunt from Miami 
or Mike Unwainu from the Patriots for interior offensive line help. G-Men, thanks for, for checking in with us here. Um, as far as priorities in free agent, I think corner is a position to look at for the Giants. I think offensive line, obviously. Um, I do believe that tackle is a position they have to reinforce, even if they intend to draft another one at some point. Interior offensive line, no doubt. Um, you have to invest in the interior if you're the Giants right now, because as much focus, deservedly so, is placed on Evan Neal and the right tackle position and also the health of Andrew Thomas. You need to fortify that interior, not only to run the ball, but primarily to protect the pocket and help your quarterback, whether it's Daniel Jones or somebody you draft, deliver the ball down the field. Um, so, you know, that's definitely a place you have to invest. I will say, though, G-Men, like Unwainu, boy, would he be a great signing, but doesn't he have to be one of the Patriots' priorities is to lock up a guy like that who is versatile and productive up front and one of the better all-around players on that roster, frankly, for New England. And remember, they're also turning over. It's not Bill Belichick anymore. So the idea that maybe Bill won't invest – there is gone. The idea that the Patriots might go bargain shopping is not necessarily the case. And they do reward players. It's just selective at certain positions. And even Robert Hunt, that's a guy to watch as well. Now, obviously, these teams can't play, pay everybody. So sometimes somebody does come free. Um, but any player on these teams that you think would be valuable enough for the Giants to pursue and spend real money on, they're candidates to not even reach free agency because, uh, you know, they have that value and because teams don't just let reasonably young, really good players walk out the door without making making an effort. Uh, you know, a guy like Barkley and the Giants is at a different position in a different situation, coming off a tag already at a position that is proven to devalue and, you know, a lot of the stats and research validates not investing in that position versus the significance of investing at the interior spot on an offensive line on an offense that for the head coach's sake has to succeed, or he's not going to be the head coach here next year, if not by the midseason point of this coming season. Um, and then NYC one T says Michael on Wayne can play right tackle as well. I think there are about four to five guards expected to hit free agency. We should be able to get one of them. Guard on way new and draft an O-line day two. That would give two starters at least. Yeah, I think I think Evan Neal ends up probably in the guard competition. They really have to make sure they get that tackle spot right. I do think it's more important than just drafting a tackle too. I think you I think you need to sign somebody at right tackle as well as try to draft younger tackles um, underneath that. And not only for developing for the future, but also to create competition and Hope that guy can stand out right away. NY1Ts, I think you understand that the offensive line has to be priority. But as G-Men said, and as we were talking about, I think the corner spot has to be a priority. I know they drafted Deontay Banks late in the first round last year. Had a, had some promising plays. Still room to grow for Banks, especially in the tackling department. And also, you know, you have to expect that Dory Jackson's not going to be on the team. So you're going to be addressing the opposite corner spot. You want to add competition. You don't want to just say, well, Banks is over here. We have that box checked. You don't, you never want to be that team, a team that the Giants have been too often, which is to say, well, we have that box filled. That player, that player takes care of that position. We don't have to, we don't have to touch that. Um, and so 
corner and offensive line. You need pass rushers as well. Um, you need Kayvon Thibodeau to take the next step, but you need somebody opposite him. You need depth there and the wide receiver position too. Momo424 checks in with our second super chat and super sticker of the conversation here today on the Talking Ball with Pat Leonard live chat. Joel Lopez first, now Momo, thank you. And this is Momo's fifth super on a live stream, live stream, excuse me, easy for me to say. So Momo has been contributing to people he appreciates and showing the love, and uh, we really appreciate that. Momo's question is, do you think they will keep Xavier McKinney and give him a Jamal Adams type of contract this offseason? Keep the great articles coming. Thanks, Momo. And after this chat, you can read more about my opinion that the Giants should let Saquon Barkley go in the New York Daily News on the website, nydailynews.com. It'll be posted live there, uh, probably is already, but you can go see it after our chat here. Okay, so Momo asked if I think they'll keep McKinney and give him a Jamal Adams type contract. Momo, this is a really interesting one because the Giants definitely value McKinney as a player. Um, you know, the franchise tag amount for safeties, though, is prohibitive. Not only is it a high number, uh, but it's also when you franchise tag a player, all of that money goes against the one year. So the projected franchise tag number for safeties um, on over the cap is $16.2 million for this coming season, which is just a prohibitive number. So on the plus side for wanting McKinney to stay a giant, the Giants have to sign him to a multi-year deal to keep him. They can't tag him and end up with that kind of money on their cap for this year for that one player at a position like safety. Um, looking at some of McKinney's venting on social media the last couple of days, it seems like he's encountering some resistance, whether it's in back channel conversations or what he's heard about what some people think he's worth, whatever it is. Seems like he wants the comparisons to stop, which obviously happens sometimes when you talk about franchise tag numbers and what a player is worth. And so if there's an initial number that McKinney is working off of in his head, maybe maybe that's not being met. Um, that's what I think would happen here is that I think the Giants value McKinney and would want to keep him here multi-years. But I have a high amount of doubt that they would reach the kind of numbers that McKinney believes his worth he's worth. Now, the safety position cratered last year in a saturated market on the open market and safeties, including a player like Julian Love, who found a good fit and some money in Seattle, but not the kind of money that um, he anticipated or that was anticipated on the open market. So if you're Xavier McKinney, you don't want to be the player who thinks he's worth that number and rolls the dice and ends up finding a much lower number, maybe not even an, as good of a fit of a defense. Um, but, you know, I think there's room to compromise here. But I do think that when you say a Jamal Adams type contract and a blockbuster that blows people away type number, do I think the Giants are entertaining those conversations and should? Yes. But do I think that they would go in that direction on a safety and break the bank? Um, you know, I think that there would be a, a limit to their, I think there would be a limit to their investments. That's what I would think. That's what I would think. So, all right, let's get to our next question here. NY, NYC1Ts says that Dan Duggan of The Athletic had a great piece today with 10 things the Giants should do. Great read. Hopefully Pat does a similar one. 
I will have a similar um, type of series coming up in outlining, um, you know, suggestions and a plan for the Giants to fix themselves this offseason, um, going into their hundredth season as an organization. Uh, big year for the team, big year for the franchise, big year for the GM and the head coach and ownership and everybody involved. And I will definitely do that. Yep, Dan does great work. And um, I plan on taking a look at that later. Rick Bowman says, what are the reasons the Giants should not restructure contracts to push obligations to the future? And are they persuasive to you? Rick, I, I will start by saying this. One interesting thing I think about the restructure contracts conversation is I see people debating whether the Giants should get back to doing it. Do people not understand they actually just did it this past year? Like I believe O'Karake and Daniel Jones are both guys who signed deals that got restructured before the regular season even got there, right? The Giants, two years ago, Joe Shane and the Giants were, you know, frugal and recognized they had no money to spend and they drew a hard line in the sand on types of restructures. But in 2023, Rick, the Giants started doing this and getting back to it. And part of the reason is this is just a real, this is just a real life situation and perspective. If you're a GM and a coach and you need to restructure and kick money into the future, do you have to consider your salary cap for the year after? And do you want to avoid the type of disaster that Dave Gettleman and the Giants salary cap team still in place got them into coming out of that regime when Joe Shane and Dable took over? Yes, of course you want to avoid that. But you also need to find ways to keep your team competitive while you're the GM and the head coach. Because if you say, we don't want to create problems for tomorrow, but you lose so many games that you lose your job, now you're not the GM and the head coach for tomorrow. And so that's the real thought process that has to go on is how do we keep our organization healthy, but also make sure that we're the best version of ourselves now so we can win so we're here next year to keep building and get better. And Rick, I think the Giants and Joe Shane have already shown uh, that they have started to dip their toe in that pool of, well, you know what? We'd rather not, but it's about time to go and win more games. And Daniel Jones and his contract and the way they structured it, Joe Shane admitted that they accelerated their plan and their process to accommodate the window that Daniel Jones had to try and win. And really, he's not saying it, but it's also a window that he and Brian Dable have to take the progress they made in year one and continue to show that it's on the right track, that it's going in the right direction, and that it's not a fluke. And so you need to play with those pieces, Rick. And to get to your question of what do I think of it? When I talk to people who know more about the finances of the NFL than I do, the team that consistently comes back that people think does a great job with their finances and the salary cap is the Philadelphia Eagles and Howie Roseman and the Eagles were the first team really to start using and figuring out the use of void years to spread salary cap hits out past the, the end of these players contracts in order to fit them into the now to continue to stay competitive, to continue to reinforce, to make late late season additions to address depth when it's needed. And now listen, 
Did that work for the Eagles this year? No. Right. Did it work for the Eagles for the several years prior to that though? Yes. And that does involve kicking money around, pushing it into the future in years where that player likely isn't going to be on your team. Right. So that's not ideal, but people appreciate the Eagles way to do that in that they accommodate their current team without dragging their future teams down into the gutter for five years. And so, Rick, this, the long answer to that is I think it's the right thing to do strategically. You just don't want to major in it. And that's I think that's a term that Joe Shane's used too when he started actually getting into it. When he said he wouldn't, then he did. And he was like, well, yeah, we do it. I just would rather not major in it, right? So I, that's the way I see it. NYT one T NYC one T says Andrew Thomas and Dexter Lawrence, you can move their money. No problem. Especially if it allow, allows us to keep McKinney and Okereke the same thing. Mark says, Oh, great audio. Yeah. Right. Frustrating troubleshooting sometimes, but we're actually going to start beefing up uh, the way we do this and adding some more elements to these chats. I think you guys will like, and uh, thanks for sticking with me and being here. We're going strong, even pushing today's chat to 1 PM. And remember, you can find us on YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok at PL on NFL, on X at P Leonard NYDN, on Facebook, just the name Pat Leonard. We're building that up. And on the Daily News website, nydailynews.com, and the Talking Ball with Pat Leonard podcast on the Believe Network on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate and review these episodes and these podcasts overall and hit the subscribe button on YouTube and on Apple and Spotify and wherever you are listening or watching. And remember, as Joel did, as Momo did, uh, please weigh in when you can with super chats and super stickers to the chat. It's a way for me to address and answer your questions and opinions immediately. You jump to the top of the queue and it supports what we are doing here and what we are continuing to build with your help. Thanks so much. Um, Let's see. NYC also says Saquon is likely worth more to the Chargers, Texans, Cowboys or Ravens than we can afford to pay. Yes, getting back to Saquon, and Antonio says what's up and also says, let Saquon test the market to see his value and give the Giants a chance to match for hopefully a reasonable price. Meanwhile, Jim says, Pat, I don't disagree at all with your take, but Saquon Barkley was the only player the defense had to scheme for. So what will Brian Dable do? So let's address all those in turn. The first says that a team like the Chargers or Ravens or Cowboys or Texans likely would pay him more than the Giants can afford. I think that hits on an important point, NYC, which is right off the bat, my initial conversations around the league are that I think there are teams out there who have a higher opinion of Saquon Barkley than the Giants or most people would believe. Being 27 years old and a guy who has an injury history and whose production was down this year compared to the previous, um, I think the perception, maybe the consensus perception is that Saquon's value is viewed as lower than he would like. But I agree with the assessment that there are teams out there who will value him more than what the Giants would with their contract. And I think, frankly, I just think that the Giants have already signaled last year um, coming off of Saquon's production that they just don't want to go to the level that he wants them to go to. You know, I think when you're a player like Barkley, who has the type of production where he had 352 regular season touches and Matt Breda was second on the team with 74 and he tied for the team high in receptions had 10 touchdowns, still doesn't get an extension. And, you know, I think 
there are maybe offenses that could unlock Barkley a little bit more than what the Giants have been able to. I mean, you see the Kyle Shanahan version of his offense, you know, the Sean McVay, Matt LaFleur, um, you know, all these offenses, you know, that we've seen, obviously, Christian McCaffrey, an injury-prone guy who left the losing team, went to a better team with a good coaching staff and other weapons, and easily could have been the MVP of the entire league this year at 27 years old. Like, is that impossible for Saquon Barkley to do? Houston Texans with Bobby Slowick run a version of that as well. Um, you know, I've heard the noise and the reports from Ryan Leaf specifically about the Chargers viewing Saquon Barkley as somebody who's valuable. Um, you know, I think letting Saquon go to a division rival like the Cowboys or the Eagles or somebody like that. You mentioned the Cowboys here. The Giants are super sensitive to stuff like that. Uh, that would be an interesting dynamic if they caught a whiff or wind of the fact that a team like the Cowboys was, were go, was going to invest in Saquon. That would certainly be, um, you know, a difficult one for for John Mara and the Giants to to stomach and swallow, especially because they've had so much trouble beating the Cowboys. And then imagine them losing in that fashion to the Cowboys with Saquon Barkley wearing the star on his helmet. Baltimore makes a lot of sense to me. Um, they often cycle through backs at an affordable rate. Uh, but listen, look at, you talk about windows, you know, look at what Lamar Jackson does best. Look at what Saquon Barkley can do. You had Ob Odell Beckham there, good friend and, and mentor there last year. And um, so you could add some familiarity, you know, some of the voices around Saquon, maybe describing the situation and able to guide him. Uh, in, in the idea of understanding what playing in Baltimore would mean and what they could maximize in a short period of time there. That one makes a lot of sense to me. But I think to hit on that first point, I think Saquon and the opinion, you talk to people around the league, like even though he's getting up there in age for a running back, there are plenty of people who look at his explosiveness and his ability to make those big plays, which is really his signature ability and talent is to burst the game open. You'd rather him not be 12 carries for 30 yards and then one for 70. But if that's what he's able to give you, maybe you can complement him with other weapons on a better, deeper team and bring the most out of him in the biggest spots and biggest situations. That's where I think he would thrive. I also think that using him as a receiver is just something the Giants did not tap enough. One of the biggest mysteries of this past season was – in Washington, now granted, they had the matchup. They felt like he would win against the linebackers and safeties there, particularly the linebackers against Washington. But they unlocked Saquon in the game plan to help and overwhelmed in, in many ways Tommy DeVito, who took a record amount of sacks that day. But they helped score enough points with the help of the defense and the special teams scoring uh, six turnovers forced from the commanders to hold on and win that game. They unlocked Saquon as a receiver in many ways to help out uh, their young quarterback there. And, and yet after that, what happened? Where, what did we see? We didn't see enough usage of Saquon as a receiver. That was uh, mystifying and something I know Saquon wants to see a lot more of. Wow, we just received a monster, monster. Uh, we got a 50... Look, it looks like a 50 Mexican dollars from Memo Mello. Memo, thank you for checking in with a big five zero. 
Uh, huge investment here from Memo. Thank you so much. Really appreciate that. It jumps right to the top of our queue. <coughs> he says, Pat, big fan from Mexico. What do you think about JJ McCarthy? Probably early at six, but maybe his stock rises in the combine and has good interviews. Memo, thank you so much for the investment in the community we are building here and, and your interest in the Giants in the NFL and what we do. So here's what I would say, Memo. I think that J.J. McCarthy is absolutely the type of quarterback, the type of dual threat ability, um, the type of face of franchise, young QB that I could see the Giants organization uh, taking a liking to and selecting high in this NFL draft. I'm doing frequent and consistent work on McCarthy. Uh, but I think if you guys were sitting here with me a few weeks ago, I was I was dropping that name, McCarthy, along with Drake May, right? Bo Nix, maybe, but more likely a, a McCarthy or Drake May as two of the guys to watch if the Giants go quarterback high and they are available at their sixth pick or, you know, in the back of first round in a trade up. Clearly McCarthy's stock in the last couple of weeks since we talked about it has risen right to that level that we were talking about before. And I absolutely think he's a possibility. Now, do I think he's a possible fit for the Giants? Yes. Do I believe he is a dramatic improvement on Daniel Jones? Clearly. I can't sit here and say that. Uh, Daniel Jones is athletic now and has proven to be mobile and productive in a certain type of offense. The thing about J.J. McCarthy, though, is he comes on that rookie contract. And I know one thing a lot of people believe in the scouting community around the NFL right now is that McCarthy still has room to grow because of how they used him in that last uh, in that last season at Michigan. So people view how Harbaugh used him and they said, well, he didn't fully unlock everything he did. He had him play the way that Michigan needed him to play to win games. So they see some upside there, you know, whereas a guy like Michael Penix is very talented, but more likely is what he is. So there's always that tantalizing element in the scouting community for general managers of saying, we see this, but we also seem, see room to grow here. So McCarthy memo to your question and to your point, he's an interesting mix of talent and upside that has GMs and some scouts salivating. Great question. And thank you so much for that enormous investment in what we are doing here. And just to wrap up that the Saquon conversation we got into, um, and Antonio was saying, let Saquon test, test the market and give the chance Giants a chance to match. I will say, Antonio, that could come to pass to let him go into that tampering period from March 11th to 13th, come back with the best deal and have the Giants a chance to match. But I can say this. Teams don't like doing other teams work for them. So when Lamar Jackson uh, was poised to potentially when he was available, essentially, and teams like the Atlanta Falcons were announcing that they weren't interested. I mean, first of all, that was ridiculous. Part of that, though, at the time was the Atlanta Falcons, certain teams like that, they don't want to negotiate a contract with Lamar Jackson that he can then take back to the Ravens. And the Ravens say, yeah, sure, sounds good. And they sign it. And so it was basically the Falcons helping out the Ravens, let's say. Like those types of things 
don't happen as much as theoretically you would think they would. So in, in a short, in a short answer, Antonio, I think if you let Saquon test the market, and this also goes to NYC's point about other teams seeing value in him. I think if you let him test the market, he's gone. That's what I think. So I think the idea of letting him go and test the market and bring it back and then letting him do that and then letting the Giants and Saquon say, oh, you know what? I had this offer and I wanted to stay. We just couldn't make it work. It's like the cleanest break. So from a public relations standpoint, I think that is the cleanest break. So if that happens, I think it's really just indicative of the underlying point, which is once Saquon has the free agency and has those conversations, I personally think he's gone. And Jim Osborne said, but what do you do? Saquon's the only player that the opposing defense had the scheme for. Well, Jim, I think there's an element of, well, what do we do in the short term, especially for a coach who's, uh, job is on the line, GM whose program and potential job is on the line, depending on how it goes. So there's an element of let's just keep a good player on our team, at least for one more year. Um, But I think ideally they've both shown their cards that their type of organization and offense would not be reliant on the run game and certainly on an expensive running back. So I think that if they're going to go out, I think they would like to go out their way. And so, like we've talked about, that could mean and likely and will mean Brian Dayball expected to call plays on offense. And so, in addition to that, it also may mean let's stop with the Saquon Barkley running back centric offense and roster build and game management style. And let's clear the deck for us to add some more pieces in free agency and the draft and elevate some guys to positions where. It's now our team. It's our program. And we're putting our best foot forward from a personnel standpoint, um, you know, whether for better or for worse. Antonio says, is it a lock that Gunnar Olszewski resigns and makes the roster as that six receiver and starting punt returner? I know the Giants would like to have him back and Gunnar would love to be back. And, um, you know, I came away from breakup day talking to him, thinking that that would work out. Uh, So, you know, uh, you know, I've, n- nothing's definite, but I don't view Gunner as a guy who's going to go out and break the bank where the Giants couldn't afford him. I certainly do believe that they would. They showed you by drafting Eric. They would love to have a cheap rookie contract punt returner. So I wouldn't expect them to be investing a ton of resources in that position as far as paying Gunner Olszewski. Uh, but, you know, I would think his market would not be going crazy to the point where the, that match can't happen. So my, my guess is he would be back. Any update on the Joel Thomas hire? Was he hired to manage a two back system? No, Rick, uh, no update there, but I will get back to you on that. That was a great question you brought to us last time. And I will get to the bottom of that one. H 5,000 says, if this O-line is still well below average at the end of 2024 and three drafts with Shane, is it time to say bye-bye to Joe Shane? H5000, I think, I personally think that if this coming season goes in a similar bad way to this past season, it's hard not to evaluate Joe Shane as closely as you're evaluating the head coach. Because as much as Brian Dable deserves the criticism and earned uh, the, the scrutiny that he's received lately, you talk to anybody around or in the Giants and the ultimate boss here, the person running the show is the general manager, Joe Shane. 
Now, ownership's always going to be involved. It's always going to be John Mara's team. He's all the buck stops with him. But this is very much an attempt by the Mara family and by the Giants to give the keys to a general manager and let him operate and you know paint the the picture on the blank canvas canvas that he sees fit. Certainly, it wasn't a blank canvas. He inherited a, a big mess from Dave Gettleman. And so there's an element of, we got to give this guy time. It's not going to happen overnight. And that's only fair. But to your question, you know, you hire Joe Judge and you say it's going to be a minimum three years and then you fire him after two. The Giants certainly don't want to be in the business of constantly turning over their staffs, but that's what's happened with three straight head coaches during or after their second season. And I think to your point, Joe Shane, you know, whether he gets it or not from most people, he earned uh, a lot of the blame and accountability for a terrible regression last season. And a lot of it was on personnel decisions of his offensive line draft picks of his, the enabling of the training program that exists there uh, that kind of returned to this low practice, um, you know, lighter workloads, even decisions they made on when to return players to the field from an injury standpoint to a personnel standpoint to the way the coaching staff was at each other's throats. And the fact that Joe Shane had to get on the headsets to monitor the program. Like these are, these are more than red flags and warning signs. These are alarm bells and five alarm fires. And at a certain point, it's no longer just on uh, the previous. It's no longer on the previous regime. It's on the current regime. Now H 5,000, do I think the giants would fire Joe Shane after a bad year three? I don't know. I do think he and Brian Dable are absolutely a pair and a partnership and a package deal that was signed away, so to speak, from the Buffalo Bills to try to replicate that type of program and success that Brandon Bean built up there with the selection of Josh Allen being the focal point and the center point of that. Um, You know, I think that the Giants and I know the Giants historically are more patient with the general manager position than the head coaching position. I also think it's going to come down to also to Joe Shane and how he reads the room with ownership and with the giants of let's say this season started poorly, hypothetically, and Brian Dable's hot seat only started getting hotter. Is the general manager going to separate himself at some point from that head coach? Or do you get down to it and it's, him and Dable surviving together or going down with the ship together one way or the other. I think that you have to watch for those signs throughout the off season. Um, I personally think that although he and Dable came in together, I think Joe Shane's vision and plan is what the giants really hired here. Ultimately. I know Brian Dable got the coach of the year award. They had some early success that first season. They won a playoff game. And the coaching staff, Dable, primarily were uh, praised. And they did a lot of good things that first year to maximize what they had. But I think ultimately when push comes to shove, based on the Giants' history and the way you you kind of read the room, I think if push comes to shove, Dable will end up a casualty of the Giants' failures with Joe Shane's plan and vision and construction, something that the Giants continue to try to get behind maybe through one new coach. That's my guess at this moment is what that's just my guess about what would happen if it came to that. 
but um, who knows if he'll get that rope and who knew, who knows if by that point he will deserve that rope H 5,000. If he does that poorly at evaluating talent, especially on the offensive line of not getting the quarterback, right. Of not getting the offense fixed and of, uh, you know, burning some bridges, so to speak, if players are talking out of school about things with star players and how those things are handled. Antonio says, do you think the Giants re-sign either Justin Pugh or Ben Bredesen as depth or even both? I think both are players or people that they would entertain bringing back at the right price. Uh, that's what I think. And I think both guys, listen, the plan was not for Justin Pugh to be on the team last year. And the plan was not for, um, you know, nobody knew Ben Bredesen was going to be far and away the best interior offensive lineman during training camp, but he was. And so um, both of these guys are competitive, have pedigree and are great teammates and are guys that you want to have on your team. But obviously you do need to upgrade the interior and have better high end talent along with your depth as well. NYC1T says Saquon didn't choose his wardrobe for that event. Yeah, most likely not. Uh, but I, you know, I do, it did, it did still cause me to raise my eyebrow this close to all the decision-making. Um, Antonio says, I was doing some digging and the Giants can create 33 million in cap space if they restructure Thomas and Dexter Lawrence contracts. And if they cut Mark Lewinsky and Boogie Basham. Yep. And listen, at this point, you know, so you say, you say you can clear up to 33, right? If you can clear 33 million, you still, this is another reason why the franchise tag is not something that's palatable. You know, if you, let's say you have 33 million after all that, if you're the Giants using 16 million of that on Xavier McKinney, which is half of that money, if you were just to tag franchise, franchise tag Xavier McKinney and not sign him, would just not be ideal, right? And even using 12 million on Saquon committed all to that one year, the 2024 season would not be something that would be ideal as well. So that goes to that point. Uh, but Antonio, and this goes out back to Rick's question as well of should the Giants do this kind of thing? You you want to continue to keep yourself uh, sustainable and not prevent yourself from being out of bidding in strong cycles at positions of need. And you want to be able to pivot and have options. But they're at, their backs are against the wall right now. This GM and this coach, they need to win and they need to get this right. So especially for guys like Thomas and Lawrence, only for guys like Thomas and Lawrence based on their ability and their contracts and their performance um, are elements um, and options for that. And how about that? If they were to cut Mark Lewinsky and Boogie Basham, two guys that this regime brought in, like to your point about how much pressure is on a guy like Joe Shane, like Mark Lewinsky, when they had barely any money to spend two years ago, was one of the only guys Joe Shane spent money on. And look at where that's gone. Is putting the franchise tag on McKinney a possibility or is that viewed as unlikely, says Antonio? Yeah, unlikely. Dan Big Blue says, on Kay Adams' show, Sean Payton looked like he was in love with Daniel Jones. Oh, I could absolutely see him loving Daniel Jones. Um, I can also see – this is what I think about Daniel. I think that Daniel Jones – his comp was Ryan Tannehill coming out of the draft when he was coming out of Duke. I think that's such an accurate comp, not just on his ability and his ability to use his legs and kind of that dual threat, but also I very much believe that 
Daniel Jones could easily go to a new team, you know, whether, you know, 2025 and suddenly look like a much better quarterback and be a much more productive player than he's been with the Giants. Similar to how Tannehill left Miami, ends up in Tennessee in a better situation with better coaching, better fit, um, better team around him and starts blossoming as he matures as well and improves as a player. Um, Denver Broncos and Sean Payton, uh, that wouldn't shock me. I will say, I will say the one thing Sean Payton really values is that kind of steady accuracy, um, you know, sound decision making. Daniel, for whatever reason, one of his uh, one of his poor qualities is his processing at times in key moments when the game speeds up. You would think it would be one of his strengths. And when he came out of the draft, supposed to be, you know, intelligent decision maker and a guy who um, is athletic, but also pairs that with kind of that accuracy and that ability there. But I do think that you, you think of that Seahawks interception, the pick six for Devon Witherspoon, great example of when a play is there, but Jones's decision making and his processing speed are just not where they need to be in a critical moment. And so I'm, you know, will Sean, could Sean Payton fix that? Or does he want a guy who's who's more precise and consistent than that? Uh, because I think Daniel's clear best fit so far is in an offense where he is using his legs as much as his arm. Murphy Bunting could be a quarterback cornerback fit. It don't discount anybody. Authentic says, glad this started a little late on this chat. Pat, what's up? Authentic, what's going on? Fellow newsbreaker over there. Um, authentic, the man. Does the coaching staff believe Daniel Jones has the talent to overcome the injury, says Corey T. Lewis Jr. Corey, I think ultimately the Giants in their minds are preparing for life without Daniel. Um, I think that there's confidence he's going to be back with the knee. I think the bigger concern has to be managing his neck and thinking that that could be a worthwhile investment in the long term for a guy who, let's remember, when he played against the Raiders, his throwing motion was different when he came back in that game. Now it's possible that he's kind of recovered it and reclaimed and, um, and he will look more like the version of him that we saw at his peak once he comes back healthy from the 2023 season. But I, I personally, Corey, do not think that um, the Giants, you know, privately have faith to, in Daniel Jones to be more than what he is. And as far as the injuries, I think, you know, it, you would just – it's not even about doubting him. It's just about the reality of what he is now as a player with the miles on his tires. I think Rick says the athletic rated the top 150 free agents and Saquon was fifth. Um, I do think Saquon's name is out there more than it was last year. I think his representation and he are doing a better job of kind of holding the giants feet to the fire earlier. And I think that um, him being ranked there as well, reinforces that I believe his greatest value would be joining a better team, which would then make him more valuable in key and critical moments to make those home runs and, um, and to kind of stand out in the moments that he wants to, that would help him build that on-field legacy to build the off-field career he's looking for. If both are available, are you taking Marvin Harrison Jr. or Joe Alt, says Dan Mazzina. Dan, what's going on, man? which improves the offense more. And what's the Giants philosophy on this? Dan, this is a great question because there are some teams who create deep completions down the field by um, 
adding speed to their receiving core and getting the ball out to it. And then there are some teams that fortify their fronts and rely on buying their quarterback that time, right? I think it's more traditional and feels more secure when you have a really strong offensive line and you don't have to think about getting the ball out in two and a half seconds, three seconds or else, right? Um, I do think traditionally the Giants are more of a Joe Alt type team than a Marvin Harrison Jr. type team. Personally, I think that signing an affordable right tackle and a veteran who's played in real games and drafting the Marvin Harrison Jr. is more the route the Giants would go here than drafting the Joe Alt and signing a veteran receiver. That's just my feel. Um, You know, I think especially because they're trying to add young, affordable weapons, particularly if you're not paying Saquon Barkley, right? Uh, So I do think that is how that all fits. Um, I I do wonder, and it's part of my conversations with people in the league right now, is the Giants missed on all three of their offensive line evaluations in that first draft. So you come back in this draft, does that make you uh, gun shy to invest with a high draft pick in another offensive lineman? Or does it reinforce why you absolutely have to keep taking swings there? Because you realized last year that if you don't fix the line, nothing else matters. So all, all certainly, and uh, you know, a well-rounded, um, you know, uh, sound giant type player there at, at six, if they don't go quarterback. But I think that investing in some experience up front and adding the weapon is uh, more of the, more of what Joe Shane would do here, I think is, is the way I would see it, especially looking at the type of speed that he's tried to add in other places on the roster and what his philosophy there is. Scott Tam says he thinks Saquon has a lot left. He was just behind the worst O-line in the league. I do think their run blocking got worse this past season in some key spots. Like John Feliciano, even if he was getting criticism while he was with the Niners at guard there starting, um, he did get help the team get to, to the Super Bowl. And also I do think was a good run blocker at center. Um, Scott Tam says Saquon's the only reason we ever talk about Tommy DeVito because with 26, we don't win without 26. We don't win any of those games. Absolutely. Also the defense a to Z me says time to move on from the past. That's what the giants always struggle with. Scott Tam says, how do you, how about you just fix the O line rather than talk, having all these other conversations? Yeah, no, listen, I know it's tiresome to continue saying, but it is something they have to prioritize. Memo says, thanks for the great answer, Pat. Memo, thank you so much for the investment in our community here and for your question. A2Z me says, Tommy DeVito was an improvement on Daniel Jones. Um, You know, I don't think everyone would necessarily agree on that. Um, DeVito did win three games, but the defense won those three games. He did make some good plays with his legs in the Green Bay game and some good throws in Washington. Anyone who thinks anything other than the defense won those three games, though, is is, – is not paying attention. And, uh, you know, I mean, go, go ask the giants offensive coaches and offensive line and offense, how it was to just take like consistent sacks when there were plays to be made on the field. I mean, good for Tommy for building what he's built, but, uh, the idea that he was better than Daniel Jones is, is crazy. Uh, now Daniel Jones didn't protect the ball, right? Uh, his offensive line was much worse when he was playing, though, when the offensive line was in front of Tommy DeVito, um, you know, 
yeah, he, he kept the turnovers down, but I think he took a, an insane amount of sacks. I mean, you think about that Washington game, they forced six turnovers of the commanders and they still almost lost the game. So, um, right. Scott Tam says Tommy D is not better than DJ. Exactly. NYC says Pat is cooking. You too, NYC. Thanks for all your good questions. A2Z me says I'm done with Daniel Jones chatter. Dude has built a cult of support based on nothing but failure and excuses. Um, authentic seconds that that I'm cooking. Let's go. Scott Tam says it's not that people have a cult following for DJ, but we just don't blindly hate on the dude. We're not delusional and thinking Tommy is anything more than a backup. Yeah, Tommy's not even your primary backup, man. It was just it was lightning in a bottle. Let's see. Um, what are your thoughts on signing a cornerback in free agency like Kenny Moore the second from the Colts or Sean Murphy Bunting from the Titans? I'm high on Kenny Moore, who is 28, had three INTs in 2023. Well, anyone who comes from the Titans clearly is on the board for the Giants. Uh, so that's what I would say there, authentic. Uh, Kenny Moore is a very good player. Uh, agree. I think you have to you have to be careful what you invest in that position, but you do, if, if you find the player that you know is right for you and then the defense that, that Shane Bowen um, wants to run, I think you are absolutely uh, making, you know, the investment in that position. So I think corner is absolutely one to watch. Uh, Murphy Bunting playing last year, for some of these coaches, you know, Shane Bowen, these guys are coming over to the Giants. I think that's one to keep an eye on. I think you're on the right track mentioning that. The only thing that I don't understand is how we don't fix the O-line first and foremost. Why bring in 15 wide receivers and linemen? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think, well, Scott, I think, I think the Giants have tried to fix the offensive line and they failed, you know, like for example, John Michael Schmitz might have a huge bounce back year in year two, but they drafted him in year one in the second round and they asked him to be at a certain level. And I like John Michael a lot and there's still room to grow, but he had a lot of experience under his belt and he wasn't what they needed him to be as a rookie. Right now, granted their interior was a mess around him. Andrew Thomas got hurt in the first game. Evan Neal, they selected seventh overall. So when you say like, why not try to fix the O-line? They did. They drafted a tackle seventh overall and he hasn't been good enough and he hasn't been on the field and he struggled mentally and mature wise. Like, so it's not that the giants aren't trying, it's that they're failing, you know, Andrew Thomas is a really good player, but they had to go get Justin Pugh to patchwork it up to get them back on track, to steady themselves. They had a plan to start Josh Azudu at guard. He couldn't win the job. They end up putting him at left tackle, right? Like, putting these guys in bad positions. You're, you're just not investing properly. They're investing. They're just investing in the wrong people so far. Why not practice? I hate that we are a young team. No need to push players to get their best. <clears throat> yeah, no, like the giants need to reevaluate how they prepare, but Brian Dable also, also has to be careful because you have to be what you are as a coach. So you have to be consistent. Like one thing players do not respond to and locker rooms do not respond to, like with Pat Shermer. Shermer was more of a player's coach to a point, but then he and some other guys on his staff, when push came to shove and the pressure and the heat turned up, it was suddenly a hard line on this, a hard line on that, a hard line on this, taking a big name player to task. 
And all the guys are looking at each other like, what is this? Because to them, it seems obvious that the person, the coach is saying these things and doing these things only to protect their own hide, maybe at a critical juncture and that it's not genuine. It's not who they are. And so they don't respond well to that. So Brian Dable does need to put a different program in place. Joe Shane needs to put a different program in, in place, in my opinion, for getting players bodies ready. Right. And I know they're, you know, they've hired these new strength coaches. This is about the athletic training staff, you know, Ronnie Barnes, Lee Weiss, Brian Dable, Joe Shane, the Giants doctors, everybody getting on the same page and having reassessments and conversations about what that process looks like. Days off, practices dialed back, not in pads, um, rehab schedules. When are guys brought back into the fold? Are they allowed to stay out and actually fully heal? What is going on with all of that? That is the critical element. We are cooking here on the live Talking Ball live chat with Pat Leonard. Thanks again for joining me, guys. Thanks for all the um, the super chats and super stickers. We started with Joel, then Momo, then Memo dropping one. Uh, really appreciate you guys. And really thank you for all of your engagement and your participation in these. I love doing these. And uh, we're really building something here on the YouTube page. Remember, the super chats and super stickers, you can pay to have your comment or your question elevated to the top of the queue and, and answered immediately and addressed immediately. Also, a great way to support what we're doing here on the page. We will have more offerings coming um, on these live chats and on this webpage that we continue to build. It's a community to talk Giants. It's a community to talk NFL and to interact directly with the fans and with me. I'm somebody who's on the ground every day, boots on the ground with the Giants, and on the NFL beat, NFL columnist for the Daily News, and on the Talking Ball with Pat Leonard podcast on the Believe Network, PL on NFL on YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok, and Pat Leonard on Facebook, P Leonard NYDN on X. Also on threads with the same handle as Instagram, PL on NFL. All right, let's get down to the home stretch of these questions as we are knocking out some great, some great conversations here. All right. Let's see. And we even see the Giants fans interacting with each other and having nice conversations and uh, bouncing some stuff off each other as I talk and address your great points that you're making. All right. Scott thinks that Brian Dable will be gone before Joe Shane and that Joe Shane will get at least a second coach in in his opinion uh, and sees Bredesen as a good signing. Um, Yeah, Joe – I think it's more likely Joe gets another coach. Um, I think the best argument for Joe Shane would be if Dave Gettleman gets four years, how many should I get? <laughs> that's, that's my, that's my argument if I'm Joe Shane. But again, like I said, how bad does it get and what are the reasons it gets that bad and how does Joe Shane handle it publicly and privately? Um. Yeah, Bredesen played all over the line. Seems like a good dude. Okay starter, a great backup. I agree. Authentic says Sean Payton said Daniel wasn't the guy on Fox as well. Well, there you go, Authentic. Authentic bringing it for us, man. Yeah, I think, you know, yeah, that the Daniel Jones thing, like I do. I see on the one hand, I see Sean Payton seeing a player who's undervalued and knowing he can get more out of him. But I do think Daniel Jones' questions about his processing throws that into a – a dicey mix for a guy like Peyton who knows what he's looking at. Uh, let's see. 
Nomad says, on that same show, Daniel Jones didn't look like he loved Daniel Jones. <laughs> Authentic says, do you think it's a possibility the Giants explore releasing Waller or Slayton? Cutting Waller could save around $7 million. Cutting Slayton could save around six. Um, I think Darren Waller, to me, looks like – he looks like a player that – like if I'm the Giants and I'm trying to get out of the business of unpredictability when it comes to players' bodies and injuries, and I'm trying to fix that, it's hard at this point to look at Darren Waller and think that he could be available for you for 12 games in a season, I think. And I like Darren a lot. Um, you know, I also wondered listening to him talk so candidly about the nature of his injuries, how much the Giants love that. And, um, you know, so, I, you know, I just – it wouldn't shock me if Waller wasn't a giant this season. No one has told me that he's not going to be on the team. Um, so no one, no one has said that to me. Um, but I do think that, uh, I do think that makes sense to me, especially if they invest more in tight end in the draft and Slayton. I mean, you know, here's a guy who, what's the stat that I pointed out that he's led them in receiving for the last five years. I think it was. So, yeah, I don't think there's any reason to to cut Darius Slayton, in my opinion. I think he's proven to be a valuable and consistent player. Memo says, I think the Giants have to go the free agency route to fix the O-line. Another rookie tackle is worrisome in the first round. I agree. Um, oh, yes, and please, as Memo is saying, give a like, give a like to Pat as we talk on these live chats. Please remember to do that. Uh, there's the super chats and the super stickers, but is also just liking and hitting that like button as we talk. That helps YouTube in its algorithm push more engagement, tell more Giants fans that we are live when we are live and brings more people to the community as we roll these chats forward. Uh, so thank you, Memo, for everybody's uh, for the reminder there for the community. Authentic says, do you think it's a possibility? OK, I answered that already. Chronicles. What's up, Chronicles? What's going on? He says, I'm assuming you have talked to multiple sources about quarterback in the draft. What's everyone thinking about Giants trading up, realistic or no? That they would entertain, that they would make the calls, yes. That they would actually find a trading partner there, no. Uh, particularly with a draft, with a division rival in the Washington Commanders there at two. Uh, the Bears expected to go Caleb Williams at one. Yes, there's been chatter about the Patriots at three. But I think that Joe Shane and the Giants – um, I think they need to – I think the Giants need to, with Joe Shane there at GM, I think they need to fortify this roster with the draft picks and the capital they have while also um, while also improving the team in the short term. So they need to improve this, the this team now. They need to, to solve the, uh, the quarterback issue and – I think using draft capital from this current draft trading up is not something that I, the Giants ideally would like to do. Now, if you're Joe Shane and Brian Dable, to Rick's point about restructuring contracts, you could dip into next year's first round pick or next year's second round pick to go get that quarterback because there's no tomorrow if you're Joe Shane and Brian Dable. You know, there's certainly no tomorrow if you're Brian Dable. That could be an interesting conversation. Joe Shane wanting to go get his quarterback, but not wanting to get rid of next year's first rounder, but a coach in Brian Dable or whoever the head coach is saying, screw next year's first round pick. That's the next GM's first round pick, right? That's the next head coach's first round pick. 
So I wouldn't Chronicles. I wouldn't take that off the table. Um, it's just, uh, you know, you have to be, you have to be careful about investing the right assets, but above all Chronicles, you need a, you need a trading partner. And right now it looks like three quarterbacks going in those first three picks. Ryan says, John Mara needs to stop putting so much pressure on the giants to win year in and year out and just let them rebuild already. How long does it need to be like this before we learn? Ryan, unfortunately, we look at the 2023 year in hindsight as that's exactly what happened. And it's so shocking and startling. It shouldn't be anymore. But it's incredible that off of that first year, because let's just be honest here. Like Joe Shane's a smart guy. He knew coming out of that first year, from my vantage point, the general manager knew that the Giants' success was some smoke and mirrors and making do with a lot less and maybe something that wasn't going to be sustainable into this year, especially with a more difficult schedule. And the fact that the general manager with ownership and the, and Joe Shane working together to guide the ship, the fact that they threw more resources into this year and to hear guys like Kayvon Thibodeau say after the season, I thought we were going to win the Super Bowl. Dexter Lawrence said before the season, like I'm done building, like this is a Super Bowl team. How did somebody actually think that this team was going to challenge for a championship. Now I'll give them this. The NFL right now is not a very strong league from top to bottom. Like everybody likes to talk about parity. That really isn't much of it. I mean, that's part of the reason the chiefs were able to win it again. Um, you know, credit to them and they have Patrick Mahomes. It's just not a strong league. So maybe in, from that vantage point, that's the best argument from the giants perspective is, well, you know, we thought we could make hay because we got into the playoffs one year after what we saw in 2021 and who knows, but you know, it's just such unrealistic thinking in my opinion, and they have to stop with it. I think that's a great point. Thank you, Ryan, for that comment. Memo says, I think it's possible to trade up if the Patriots do not take one of the top three QBs. Um, As far as I understand, the Patriots are looking quarterback there. Um, We'll see where that goes though. It's obviously still early. I'm looking forward to seeing the quarterbacks throw in Indianapolis. I think it's going to be the highlight of the week. Um, you're not going to convince me the Giants aren't going quarterback high um, until it happens. Because for me, if I'm Joe Shane, I'm trying to get my guy. Um, and thanks for the reminder memo. Everybody give a like. Scott says, was it missing on the online draft or just on the O-line draft or just bad coaches? Scott, I think that they would like it to be that it was just a coaching issue. And certainly Carmen Brasillo, they brought him here because he made um, – he kind of made chicken salad um, in, in Las Vegas with a patchwork offensive line that people didn't have high expectations for. So they're hoping that he can help do that for them. Um, do I think Bobby Johnson could have improved on something? Sure. But do I think all the offensive problems were him? Absolutely not. No, I do not. And um, I think it was personnel related as well. Rick says, thanks for doing these, Pat. Your time and insights are very much appreciated. I hope everyone here subscribes to the Daily News and support. Thanks so much, Rick. Your questions are always insightful. I will get that Joel Thomas question, uh, answer for you. Ryan says, one would hope they just didn't have enough time to get the first draft class correct. I had heard they basically used Buffalo's board. Um, well, for me, top to bottom, their drafts have not been, uh, the drafts have not been strong. And, you know, I don't think it was just the first draft. And I think, you know, I did some reporting that first year that there were people in the Giants front office who liked Charles Cross a lot. 
and they ended up taking Evan Neal over him. So even if they were, you know, comparing different boards, obviously, and all of that, you're still talking about a decision on a player and, and making the wrong one, it looks like. Scott says, I don't want to give up a lot of draft capital for one of these quarterbacks, to be honest. I don't think any of them are worth the hype. They may end up being decent, but it is so hard to know who the next great one will be. Not a reason not, a reason not to take a swing, though, Scott. Plus, you can win without a top quarterback. Look at San Fran and look at the Chiefs. They built the team before they got Mahomes. Right, with excellent coaching and excellent depth and excellent drafting, what the Giants have not done. And, you know, the best coach, the most productive coach last year, their defensive coordinator isn't there anymore. That would be like the Chiefs losing Steve Spagnuolo. Um, so the Giants aren't built like that. NYC says, are you heading to the combine and will you report on other organizations' perceptions of the Giants' current state of affairs? Yes and yes. I will be in, in Indianapolis bringing it all to you guys, bringing live chats to you guys from Indianapolis. Can't wait for that. Uh, Momo says, Scott, you just want to run it back with Daniel Jones then? If it fails, then Dable is fired. Yeah, unfortunately, that contract forces them to run it back with Daniel Jones this year but they really do have to plan for life without him. And personally, based on my reporting conversations, I think they already are. Scott says, I was worried about this year as soon as we didn't bring in any O-line guys and let two starters walk in free agency. I had hope, but to be honest, I was really worried coming into last year. And you should have been. That meant you had your eyes open. That's what we do here on the Talking Ball Live uh, Q&As and podcast with Pat Leonard, Believe Network, New York Daily News. We keep it real. We keep our eyes open. And we try to tell you what we feel is the truth about your team, whether it's what you want to hear or not. I am going to post the link right now into our chat to my latest story on Saquon Barkley and on the Giants and the reasons why I think they should let Saquon Barkley go into free agency. We will finish with Lewis's question. Is there a chance Leonard Williams comes back at a reasonable salary? He spoke about taking less money to continue playing with Dexter Lawrence. Lewis, I think that if Leonard Williams means that and wants to play for a lot less money and, you know, low money, like not reasonable money, low money to play with Dexter Lawrence back on the Giants, then then certainly the Giants would entertain it. I find it hard to believe, though, that especially based on how he played the second half of the year with the Seahawks, there's going to be real money available for him. And I'm not sure the Giants are going to have that available. Um NYC says, thanks, PL. Keep it up, man. Mark says, Pat loves trying to get guys fired. Clown show. Mark, I'm glad you jumped in at the end with that comment uh, because definitely reflects that you did not listen to our full Talking Ball live Q&A chat here on the YouTube page at PL on NFL. But we like all opposing viewpoints, Mark. Please subscribe. I think you'll enjoy the content that we have here. And um, Mark, the fact of the matter is, you know, we love disagreement and dialogue and conversation and debate here. We just don't like to make it personal because it's not personal. Right. And, you know, there have been times where I've said the Giants should be patient and then they fire people and maybe people like yourself says, yeah, fire everybody. And then there's a time where I say, hey, this guy's job is on the line. And you say, that's not unfair. You're just trying to get people fired. Right. So. You can't have it both ways, right? It, it sounds like it's convenient, I think, sometimes for people to say um, someone should be held accountable. And then there's other times where they don't deserve to be. Because why? This is a bottom line results-oriented business. The truth does hurt, as Authentic says. And 
you know, the Giants are in a position where, listen, I talk to people around the league. If they tell me that the Giants are a lot better than people think, I'll tell you that. If they think the Giants are in real trouble and people are on the hot seat, that's what I'm going to tell you. And if you want to close your eyes to the idea of what the Giants are versus what they want to be, like the, the bottom line is if they're here, they're trying to get here. And there's a gap. Now, they have resources this offseason to address those things. We covered that in this chat. We'll continue covering it in our coverage at the Daily News and on these podcasts and on these chats and on these conversations. But I ask you to be respectful personally, and we love all the conversation, the disconnects, the, um, the debates, the dilemmas, the problem solving, the questions from you that get me thinking, the points I can make to help you guys uh, become more informed and also continue in your research about what your favorite team can do and how it can improve and how it can dig itself out of this hole going into the 2024 year. That's what we're here for. Um, we love doing it. And we welcome another person, Mark, hopefully to our community. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon on the Talking Ball live podcast and chat with Pat Leonard. Remember, if you missed this, you can watch the full video version on our YouTube page at PL on NFL or listen to the audio version on Apple, Spotify with the Believe Network, wherever you get your podcast. Authentic says, great show, Pat. Great job, Authentic. Thanks to everybody who checked in, especially the super chatters and super stickers from Joel Lopez to Momo to my guy Memo jumping in with a great question and some big bucks. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.